What's up, guys? October 19th, Tuesday still, episode two of the day. Um, in total, episode 187. Today, again, I have on Raphael Cosman, CEO of Trust Token. We discuss everything from TrueFi to TrueUSD to stable coins in general to DeFi in general, thoughts on the industry, and so much more. It's a great episode. Other than that, make sure you guys go check out the Blockhash Insider newsletter. It's only $250 a month, and you get advanced analysis, breakdowns, and you know thoughts on different tokens in the industry. And with that said, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and trust token. Enjoy. All right, Raphael, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Thank you. It's great to be here, Brandon. I really like the intro music you've got. I was rocking yeah, out to that. I saw you jamming out to it. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I've got a friend that makes it all for me, so get get some unique stuff every once in a while. Love it. Um, where, where are you from? Where are you based? So I spend about half my time in San Diego, half my time in the Bay Area. Um, I was actually born in the Bay Area, but grew up in San Diego, and then came back to go to college at Stanford, um, and then have stayed um, in the Bay Area or San Diego most of the time since. Oh, cool. Uh, what would you study at Stanford? Computer science. Okay, cool. Did you learn about crypto and blockchain there? Is that much of a hot topic? I did. And unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough to invest while I was there. Not like I had a huge amount of money to invest. Um, but yeah, I actually took cryptocurrency, uh, not cryptocurrency, but um, cryptography classes under Dan Bonet, who is a mm -hmm. very famous cryptographer and is... Um, one of the professors there at Stanford, and he's actually considered, you know, one of the fathers of modern blockchain technology. Um, and then it was only um, recently, like 2017, that you know, company-wise, I started just working full-time in the space. You know, built a stablecoin, built a DeFi protocol, etc. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I learned about crypto when I was in college too, um, but it definitely was much more controversial back then and it wasn't as uh, popular as a thing. So everyone looked at me as some crazy guy trading magical internet money. Um, but I, I had a little bit back then, but not much to um, have much of a story. But no, that's cool. That's cool. I think I a lot of universities trading are, back then. That was a good yeah. call, man. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of universities are starting to, or at least more students on university campuses are getting more interested. So it's pretty cool to see that. Um, other than you know your background with Stanford, what's what's your story? How did you get into this space? Um, what kind of drew you into wanting to to work in blockchain? Yeah, so um, you know, like many startups, it's a little bit of a winding story. So actually, after Stanford, I worked for a while at Google, um, actually on the Google Brain team doing AI research. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to start a company, so um, left Google to start this company. But when this when Trust Token started, it actually wasn't a, a DeFi company. It wasn't a crypto company at all. And um, we originally did estate planning, like software to help people make their wills and trusts. And that's okay. what we did for about a year. And then in 2017, we hard pivoted the company into crypto, and we made TrueUSD, which was the first major USD-backed stablecoin. Um, Tether was the only major competitor at the time. Um, and then uh, more recently in 2020, um, we launched TrueFi, which is our main focus now. And that's our DeFi protocol um, for doing uncollateralized lending. So, so why, so why did you want to go from estate planning to, to DeFi? Uh, it was getting from estate planning to crypto is just a lot more interesting. And um, 
the estate planning business, you know, we chose it because purposefully because it was kind of an old dusty industry where we thought software can, you know, have a lot of impact. Um, but it was starting to actually get more competitive software wise. And um, it's just, I guess it was sinking in for us, like how, how much more exciting it is working in an industry like crypto where things are moving so fast and you're constantly learning there's constantly new opportunities coming up so you just get a lot of value from being here got it so so what is trust token exactly i know it's you know in DeFi and it's a stable coin but what's what sets it apart what's unique and what's what's the mission here yeah so you know our our main product is trufi which is a DeFi protocol for uncollateralized lending um, and you know what we see, what we see ourselves doing overall is building open financial infrastructure that can help empower people. You know, say what the internet did for information. You know, we think blockchain mm -hmm. is doing it for money, and you know it's not going to do that on its own. It's going to take companies like ours to make that happen. And so you know we're building products like you know TrueUSD was very innovative at the time. Now there's a lot of stable coins people can choose from, but at the time it was a very novel offering saying, look, you can have a totally trustworthy, you know, essentially a US dollar uh, account to be able to save money, to be able to send money to anyone overseas. And, and it doesn't, you, you know, you can be anyone in the world and you can have that account and you can purchase and redeem it from normal US dollars anytime. Um, that was a big deal. And there's a ton of people overseas who do not have access to US dollar banking for whom this was a massive, um, you know, a, a massive benefit. And, you know, people would come up to us at conferences and be like, wow, I love TrueUSD. I use you guys all the time. I'm a huge fan. And I'd be like, great. Um, and then we expanded that. We actually launched four other global stable coins, True British Pound, Canadian Dollar, Hong Kong Dollar, and Australian Dollar. And that's basically saying, okay, you know, we're taking a multi-currency account and putting it in every single human's pocket on your smartphone, on your computer, on your tablet. You know, anyone can access um, multi-currency accounts. You can send that money to anyone in the world 24-7, almost for free, almost instantly in five different global currencies. That is, again, a huge level up compared to the banking system today where, I don't know if you've tried, you know, sending an international wire or getting a multi-currency account. These things are hard. Like you, like I've literally like, sat in the bank for half an hour, an hour trying to get things sorted out. It's a lot of bullshit and it doesn't need to oh, be yeah. that way now that we have the internet. Uh, and then TrueFi is really the final level or at least the next level of that saying, okay, now we've got stable coins as a solid basis, you know, to build DeFi upon. DeFi really it's hard for DeFi to really exist without stable coins. And if you look at Compound, Aave, TrueFi, so many of these protocols, they're really based on stable coins, whether it's TrueUSD, USDC, or, or any of the other ones. Um, now we're saying with TrueFi, okay, we're going to put a really high yielding investment that anyone can have access to. You know, I'm making 0.1% in my Wells Fargo account, you know, on my US dollars, and I'm also making like eight nine, 10 percent in my TrueFi savings, right? And Wells Fargo, you know, I, I give my money to them because they've got a big brand and a big fancy building and they're regulated and so on. But I have no idea what they're doing with my money. I have zero transparency on that. And I'm getting 0.1 percent. It's not because they're loaning my money at 0.1 percent. They're loaning my money at way more than that. They're just not giving it to me. It's going to the shareholders and it's going to the managers because that's the way that, that banks work. So it's not about Wells Fargo. All, all the banks work that way, right? The interest rates are just 
what they are right now, very low, right? But it doesn't mean the banks aren't making money. It just means you're not making money and I'm not making money, right? And then my money in TrueFi, I'm getting a million times better offering, right? I'm making, you know, 10% instead of 0.1%. And you know, if you look at the transparency, I can literally see, this is DeFi. I can see in 24-7 real time, every single penny that moves in or out of the protocol, every cent and exactly why it moves. And I can read the code of the protocol. I can know exactly how it will behave under every situation. You know, that is a level of transparency so far beyond what something, what someone like Wells Fargo and another bank can imagine. It is so revolutionary to have a level of transparency and I'm getting a way, way better rate. So across the board, I think that is a massively better product that we are putting into the hands and into the pockets of every single human on this planet. So that to me is exciting and powerful. And, and that's really what we're about as a company, as a team. Yeah, APYs are so much better in crypto than in the bank. Um, I imagine more people would do it too. I mean, the, one of the biggest issues is just onboarding, getting people to get their money easily from the bank um, into a stable coin like that where they can you know, take advantage of that and actually have their money go up in value over time. Have you guys explored other onboarding methods other than you know, just people being able to go through an exchange um, or having to go through different hurdles or verification methods just to you know, hold a stable coin? Like, is there easier ways for people to potentially do that or have you explored any? It's a good question. You know, with TrueUSD and the other stable coins that our company has made, you know, anyone can purchase them and redeem them. Just go to, you know, go to our website, trusttoken.com. You create an account and you can send in a bank wire and immediately be purchasing and redeeming those coins. But it still requires sending a bank wire. You know, and if you work with um, USDC out of Coinbase, you know, you can do that. Similarly, bank wire, ACH, you know, all these things are going to require working with a legacy financial system or trading from another crypto exchange, you know, trading from another crypto asset on an exchange, which is, of course, a million times faster. You know, that could be seconds. Whereas a bank wire, you know, you might have to wait uh, even a couple of days. Um, so it's definitely much faster if you're going from crypto to crypto. But overall, this pro this on-ramping problem is a massive problem. And it is not one that we are focused on solving. There's too many problems for us to solve all of them. Our main focus is really solving uncollateralized lending on the blockchain in DeFi. Um, that's our main focus. And we think that's, you know, a big piece for us to bite off. And there are a million other problems around that, including on-ramping, off-ramping, which are extremely important. And we're hoping other companies are going to tackle and, and, and they certainly are working on it. But there is still, of course, a ton of work to be there because as you said, these higher APYs are sucking in capital like a magnet. Literally billions of dollars are getting sucked out of traditional finance into decentralized finance and crypto. And I think that's going to actually become trillions of dollars um, at some point in the next decade. I think we're actually at the very beginning. And even if some people feel like, oh, we're late to the game, you know, 2017, 2015, those were the good years to get into crypto. I don't think that's at all true. I think 2020, 2021, this is absolutely early innings. And this is the equivalent of like, 1999, 2000 in the internet era, where like the truly great companies of the internet era and, you know, everything that was going to be achieved given the technology of the internet, you know, people thought, oh, wow, it's, you know, there, there's a huge bubble, it's bursting and so on. But it's like, yeah, sure. There's a lot of ferment, there's a lot of stuff going on, but that is still nothing compared to what was going to happen in the next two decades between 2000 and 2020, you know, when huge companies like Amazon, 
Apple, Google, Facebook, and so on have emerged and become, you know, literally the largest companies, most valuable companies in the entire world are some of these technology companies, you know, which are, are, are riding on this technology, which is extremely new, extremely, extremely new technology, you know, and these are the, now the largest companies in the world in just a few decades. I think we're in the same position with crypto, where I think the several of the largest companies in the world in a couple of decades, maybe crypto companies, you know, and think of that, and, and, and there are decades in between now and there, and there's huge amounts of, of penetration that we're going to have getting from here where you and me, Brandon, you know, we're two tech savvy young guys living here in the first world, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're early adopters for this stuff, right? And everyone in crypto, you know, these are all still very much the early adopters. We will get to the point where your grandma is going to have a banking app on her phone that's super simple and super easy to use. And she does not know or care how it works on the back end. Just like people that use Facebook or Google today, they don't know or care how HTTPS works, right? They don't, mm -hmm. they don't understand fundamentally how the internet is built and how information zooms around. They just want it to work. And they just get upset if Facebook or Google goes down and they want it to work. And that's it, right? That's where we're going to be with crypto. And that's where we're going to be with DeFi, where there's going to be a 99% of users, of, of ultimate end users of these products are going to be people who are, who they just have a banking app on their phone. They just have their monies, you know, in a hedge fund or their money, you know, is in their retirement fund. And they're making, they're making a great rate. They can easily send money to anyone in the world. They're just a happy user. Right. That's what we're ultimately going for. And they don't need to know that the protocol it's running on is TrueFi or another DeFi protocol or the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. They don't need to know any of that, just like how most people don't know or care whether it's HTTP or HTTP at TPS or how packets move about the Internet. None of that. Yeah. So one of the biggest fears I actually have is, you know, the tech companies doing something that really dilutes and decentralized um, the decentralized industry around crypto. Um, you, you've seen it in just about everything, especially Facebook. They, they outcompete just about everybody. Um, they're even killing the banking system. There, there's so many different banking products within tech companies that they're just drawing so much more money. So they're easier to use and simpler and they bank more people than, you know, Wells Fargo and bank of America do. Um, and commercial banking's getting killed. I, the biggest fear I have, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but, um, I, I fear that like Facebook, other big tech companies, Microsoft, Amazon, that maybe they will create and Facebook is, you know, creating a crypto, uh, token or a product or their own blockchain. And that maybe that will be so much more efficient because they have the money to do it in the pool and they already have, you know, the audience, um, that maybe they could build something that's as popular as, you know, Bitcoin at some point. Um, I, it's, I don't like betting against Facebook because somehow, somehow they always win. Um, but I also don't like betting against Bitcoin either because it just doesn't stop. So I don't know. What, what's your opinion? It, big tech kind of freaks me out. So Brandon, I think that a certain amount of that kind of centralization is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is to a certain extent just how these technology cycles go in the early days of the internet you know it was wild west it was completely free people sharing things people collaborating it was a wonderful culture very exciting you know i was born in 1993 so i don't remember that much of it but 
um, read books, you know, have people on my team who were there for sure. Um, and, you know, I think every wave is a little bit like that, where, um, you know, crypto, we're already starting to see, you know, uh, parts of crypto, especially, you know, you know, larger companies, some of the larger um, products or ecosystems, they're shifting. It's less of the, you know, hey, bunch of hackers, you know, uh, idealistic spirit, let's make something cool together, you know, change the world. Um, and it's becoming more corporate, it's becoming more centralized, it's becoming more regulated. And that I think is to a certain extent inevitable and is going to happen with each major technology. And we both at the same time, I think we need to fight to preserve, we need to push to preserve the things that we value, you know, decentralization, um, open protocols that treat people equally, et cetera. Um, but also accept the a certain amount of inevitability. Hey, you don't necessarily get from, you know, a cool project made by 10 people in a basement to, you know, something that's running a hundred trillion dollars of global finance. Uh, you don't get from here to there without some changes, without some regulations, without some big companies, uh, policies, procedures, etc. So uh, I think it's sort of a yes and. We have to be able to hold both ends of that uh, duality. Speaking of regulations, um, th there are potential regulations that could come out that I think may not see light of day, but they could uh, if they get squeezed into one of these big bills getting trying to get passed. Um, they could heavily regulate stable coins um, in a lot of ways, and that could either be very good for crypto in certain niches and certain aspects and maybe bad in other ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm on the side of, you know, there needs to be some sort of regulation to give people an idea of what the rules are so that you can innovate to the greatest extent possible. But it, I feel like obviously a lot of people on Capitol Hill don't get that um, entirely and they don't fully understand the industry and they just kind of regulate with a giant blanket. Um, do you think that there's a fear of that maybe driving away some of that innovation from the U.S., which is a big player in terms of developing this space out, um, if there's some bad regulations that come out? Or do you think that it'll sort itself out over time? That's a great question. Um, let me say let me say one more thing on the previous piece. Okay. And, and then let's dive into regulation. Sure. You know, in terms of in terms of things getting more centralized, you know, like the way that the that the internet has evolved and, and led to big tech and so on, you know, one thing I would say is I would a hundred percent do it again. Like, even if I knew exactly how the internet was gonna end up and knew that there was gonna be, you know, highly regulated, giant tech companies, centralized power, et cetera, that it was gonna lead to, I still think the internet is one of the most massively good things that has ever happened to our species, has unlocked tremendous potential for individuals around the entire planet. And I am so glad that it happened and it didn't happen perfectly. And there are certainly things I'd like to change, but that's fine. It does not mean that the technology has not been world-changing and world-changing in a very good direction. So if I was one of those early innovators, you know, back building the internet in the first days and, and idealistic and hoping it's going to stay decentralized and so on, um, I still would do it again, even where it's ended up. And so even knowing that crypto will get, you know, is getting some of that and will probably get a lot more of that in the coming decades 
when you know someday JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs might be giant crypto companies. You know, they they might get replaced by giant crypto companies, or they might be giant crypto companies. I think those are two, um, you know, reasonable alter alternatives, or at least they're going to be very using this technology. Um, even knowing where this thing is ultimately going to go, I still think it will be massively, massively good for us as a species and massively good for for the planet because the technology, just like how the internet. It fundamentally changed. It made it, it made it such that at a very fundamental level, it does not matter if you are Brandon or Raphael sitting in a highly developed first world country, or if you are sitting in Kenya or Nigeria or East Asia, and you might be living on literally a hundredth or a thousandth of the income that you and I are living on. That person has the same access to extremely high quality information on Google, on Wikipedia, as you and I do, right? It used to be like, hey, I can go to the Stanford library down the street and get a book and I know all kinds of information that someone in Kenya does not have. That is, that is massively leveled today, massively leveled. And so yes, yes, there's centralized powers. Yes, there's big tech and so on. But still, it's been a fundamentally extremely good force, and you cannot take that away. That is that is fundamental to what the technology is doing, and crypto is doing many of the same things for money and for value and for investments as opposed to information. And so, even with all the things that are coming, I think it will still be an extremely good force. Now, regulation. Sure. So, here's the thing about regulation. We are still using the internet as an analogy again. We are still figuring out as a society how we want to regulate the internet, which was invented decades ago. And still regulators are getting educated on what the internet really is, how it really works, how we should be regulating it. There are no easy answers to these questions. If there were easy answers, we would have done it decades ago. It would be totally solved by now, but no, it's not. It is a massively important and hot topic today because it's really complicated and lots of people in society disagree about how we should do it for the internet. Crypto is a whole nother level because we're so much earlier in regulators and society at large understanding what crypto is and thinking through how we should be regulating it. So we are very likely going to be still having crucial debates about how to regulate crypto in 20 years. Just like how today the internet is massively mature and literally the largest companies in the world are internet companies, and yet we're still figuring these things out. That's how it's going to be in 20 years with crypto. That being said, there is a certain extent to which I believe that truth wins. Truth wins, not always quickly, not always completely, but truth slowly, slowly wins over time. And so just like how understanding of the internet and what it can do and how it works is, has pervaded through our society and is getting understood by regulators and we are starting to get more sophisticated about how we think about those things. Similarly, the massive advantages that crypto provides when it comes to transparency and auditability and trust for consumers about where they're putting their money. All of those things, while they're not understood very well today, they are going to be better understood year after year after year. So we will come to a better place 
but it may take years, it may take decades. But the fundamental truth of the matter and what people are going to inevitably be seeing more and more over time, the fundamental truth is that if you take a company like Wells Fargo, I, I, I don't make very much money. I only get a fraction of what they're making from loaning out my money. I have almost zero transparency into what they're doing. And honestly, even the regulators don't have that much transparency into what Wells Fargo is actually doing on a day-to-day -day and dollar-by-dollar -dollar basis. You compare that to Compound, Aave, Maker, TruFi, most other DeFi protocols, you can literally, literally anyone in the world can watch in 24-7, in real time, every single penny that moves in and out of the protocol. This is a completely other ballgame. It is an entire another level. Imagine if regulators said to Wells Fargo, hey, Wells Fargo, we want you to report in real time 24-7 to the entire world every single penny that moves in and out of the bank, right? That would be crazy. That would be freaking crazy. There's, there's, there's no way they could even comply with that, you know? That's, that's completely unimaginable. But while that's unimaginable for TradFi, that is literally the status quo. That's like the baseline for DeFi. That's just how it works for the vast majority of these protocols. And not only that, it's like, hey, you can also read the code and verify for yourself. This is not me telling you. This is not a company telling you. This is you actually verifying for yourself exactly how this thing will behave in every single situation because you've read the code yourself and you can see it. That is a crazy level of transparency and trust that TradFi is going to find basically impossible to match. So that is why from a regulatory perspective, when it comes to actually providing solid, trustworthy, transparent, auditable tools for our society, DeFi is a massive, massive advantage. It is a massive win for regulators. And that is what I think people are going to increasingly start to realize. But it takes time and it takes education. It takes podcasts, you know, conversations like this one. People have to get up to speed on this stuff because it's complicated. It's new, right? It's like explaining HTTPS. Someone understanding why is HTTPS secure? That's not an easy question. It's complicated. And so that's why this stuff is happening. It's why what, what you and I are doing on a day-to-day -day basis is important for the world and for actually helping crypto to grow. Yeah, I'm going to email this uh, episode to Nancy Pelosi and and I don't think she's going to read it, but you know, I wish I wish they did. I wish they listened to stuff like this. I mean, there's so many great podcasts out there in blockchain that really do try to help have these conversations and I some some people really should listen when I hear them talk about it. Um whether it's you know on the news and politics and stuff like that. I'm just like they they just it's just funny sometimes. I can't. Um and you know, it's I, you think you make a really good point. I think you're probably right too. It will be like consistent, you know, regulations after regulations down, you know, over 10, 20 years, you know, it probably will never end just like the internet, um, constantly changing. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be anything necessarily bad. that's going to stop it. I just hope that it doesn't curtail it so much that it slows it down and then gives, you know, one of these big tech companies such an advantage that, you know, it, it kind of crushes the decentralized spirit of it. The good thing is the community, you know, around crypto just in general is so, so massive. And so, um, you know, outgoing about it, it's, it's helped tremendously, especially around like things like DeFi and, um, being able to help 
people really understand, you know, why finance is so important and how you can create uh, methods that are um, more beneficial for people. Like the, the banks, it's it's stupid API, APY wise. Um, you know, nine totally. to one, they loan out your dollar and you get next to nothing every single year in return for that. Um, within DeFi, it's insanely high and you actually make, you know, eight to 10, sometimes even higher percentage wise every single year of money you just leave in there and you can borrow almost as much as you want, um, you know, to, to a degree. So the tools and the fundamentals, you know, are so, so much better. So I do hope that they, you know, see that as they start to regulate and I'm sure you agree. Um, I, I do want to touch on what you guys are doing with, um, uncollateralized loans. I get so many questions on that. Um, cause no one really wants to put up their crypto as collateral cause they're scared to do that and, you know, potentially, you know, lose their crypto or crypto go down in value if, you know, they get at the wrong time and borrow money. Um, how are you guys, you know, tackling that issue and creating an, an alternative for people? Great question. Hey, can I actually, uh, I can actually share my screen and I can walk you through a little bit. I think it'll help. Yeah, I, I think you can share it. Okay. Um, are you able to see my screen? I added it. Okay, great. So folks can see. So, so this is TrueFi right here. Um, it's today, it's a billion dollar DeFi protocol. It's originated over $600 million of loans. And we really see uncollateralized and under collateralized lending as the largest growth area within uh, DeFi overall. Over collateralized lending is where a lot of protocols are, are, are today. That's folks like Compound, Aave, Maker, and so on. And that the, the heyday for that uh, market you know, really grew a lot in the last couple of years because it is a, it's a much simpler problem if you have you know, full collateral for a loan that you're making. It's much easier um, for a protocol to be able to handle that. Doing uncollateralized lending is a much harder problem. And so that's why I think this is really the time when there's, there's more infrastructure, there's more best practices in place. This is the time when we're really ready to tackle that. Um, and that's what TrueFi is doing. So basically, TrueFi is a protocol where people can create lending pools. We've got um, three main lending pools here. There's actually a legacy one that's being migrated right now. Three main lending pools right here. We're going to be significantly expanding this in the coming months, um, adding a bunch of new lending pools and actually opening this up and getting a lot of other folks building lending pools um, on the protocol. And you know, people can create lending pools. Um, these lending pools are, you know, can target a variety of different lending strategies, whether that's lending to crypto companies, lending to SMEs, um, lending to hedge funds, lending, you know, ultimately putting money into portfolios of mortgages or other more conservative assets. You know, we're looking to ultimately tackle the entire space of where people do lending. You know, think of this as all of debt, which is a massive market today. Um, that's, that is what we're building a protocol for. You know, we'd like this to be a place where someday you can come and choose from a list of dozens of different options, you know, high quality portfolios, across a diverse set of spaces and all kinds of different strategies, you know, long track records, and you can choose from any of them. And the fundamental reason why DeFi is good for this is it's, it's much better infrastructure to be able to run and manage these kinds of pools, to be able to send out and bring back loans. If you look at the level of friction 
for this kind of stuff in traditional banking or in traditional financial institutions like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and so on, there is a huge amount of overhead, huge amount of overhead that is happening right now because the rails are much, much slower and much more cumbersome. Here, we've got a system where someone can, someone who might struggle to even get a loan from the conventional financial system, you know, many of these borrowers are extremely credit worthy, have great credit histories, and they can actually come and get a loan. Um, sometimes in days, we're actually looking to get that down to even minutes um, in the future because the infrastructure is fundamentally better. And part of what's exciting about this is, you know, not only have we done, you know, originated $600 million of loans, already $270 million repaid, 0% default so far, zero defaults on the entire protocol, which is um, very exciting uh, results. So clearly this is, you know, this is not just a cool idea. This is something that is actually working and at scale with hundreds of millions of dollars. So this is the, this is the real deal. Um, and we're looking to turn that into billions of dollars soon, you know, billions of dollars originated. Um, Part of what this is doing is not only are we doing genuine uncollateralized lending on the blockchain, but also this is building up a real credit history on the blockchain. So here's just an example. Alameda Research you know, is one of the largest, best respected firms um, in crypto. They're a very strong partner and actually investor in, in our company as well. And you know, here's their credit rating, 223 out of 225. Um, so very strong credit rating, one of the strongest credit ratings on the protocol. Um, 225 is the highest credit rating in this system. So every credit score is just a byte. Um, makes it very easy for other protocols to actually reference and consume that credit score. And you start to use that in various calculations. Um, but that credit score, you know, that comes from off-chain data, but also from direct on-chain data. Because you know, you can inspect the blockchain, you can actually directly see if you're if you're another protocol, you know, looking to to work with Alameda, you know, and have them, whether it's borrowing, lending, trading, et cetera in your protocol, you can see their actual repayment history in TrueFi. You can actually see these uncollateralized loans moving on chain. So now we have a truly open record of someone's credit history and their credit score. And that I think is really powerful um, if you compare it to the way that credit works in traditional finance, where it's much more closed door, much more opaque, much more difficult for people to build a credit score and then carry it around if they move from one country to another country. And a lot of those issues are things that DeFi can really solve. Um, so that's a bit about what's um, what's exciting about TrueFi, why we're doing it. And I hope that you know if any of your um, listeners here find this interesting, please check it out. It's app.trufi.io. We would love to have you as a lender, as a staker, as a true holder. We would love for you to be participating in governance of the protocol in our community. There is so much that needs to be built here. There is literally trillions of dollars that is waiting to move onto DeFi for us. You know, we need to be able to provide the right protocol, the right infrastructure, the right incentivization to bring it onto DeFi. But I have talked with a lot of people from traditional finance. I know that there's actually a tremendous amount of readiness to start using systems of this type. And um, it's ultimately up to you know how well can we as a team, as a community, um, execute on this and really um, make something happen. Well said. Um, it's, it's very exciting. And I imagine there is trillions of dollars, you know, in traditional banking, traditional finance, um, within stock market, that's going to make its way into this industry one way or another. Um, it, it's very exciting times. Um, I will include all of that stuff and those links as well in the description for the episode so people can easily find it and look for it. 
Um, before we wrap up, is there like um, a place where people can go if they want to chat about TrueFi and Trust Token? Like, do you have a Discord? Do you have um, a, a community or a place where people can just kind of, um, you know, throw some ideas around? We absolutely do. If you just go to TrueFi.io, you can find a link to our Discord as well as to our uh, Twitter and everything else. Um, so if you want to engage with us, please join our community. Um, we've got a Twitter, we've got a Telegram, we've got a Discord, um, we've got a, a WeChat, you know, some big communities in Asia as well. Um, so please come and engage with us there. Ooh, that got really trippy. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. I'll, I'll include all of that. Um, I got to get going because I'm going to finish out building the studio and I got some neon signs that just showed up. So this is going to look great on the walls. Um, awesome. So I hate to cut it off here. Um, so much more we could probably talk about, but Raphael, thank you for taking the time to come on. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brandon. This was a blast. I would love to do it again. Um, and uh, I, let me come and see the studio in person at some point, um, if that's a possibility. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Hey, you want to come to Colombia? I live in Medellin. <laughs> wow. Hey, I actually lived there. You I did? When? There. When did you yeah. live here? For like, maybe it was like a month or two. Um, after I graduated college, my uh, my co-founder for this company, we both like lived in Medellin, Colombia, and like that's where we started to develop some of our early ideas. So it's a great place. Yeah, people love crypto down here, and it's it's shaping up really fast from a startup and tech perspective. Software, um, yeah, come back down. You're you're invited. I'm gonna get the studio fin um, finished, and we can do another episode. Here, come okay. on in. Awesome. All right, Brandon. Thank All you right, very much. Again soon. Ciao. Yeah.